chat football, but from a different perspective now. And we joined in studio uh, by the MD of uh, Have a Sports and Entertainment, Andrew Ross. Andrew, I got the name of the company right. Have a Sports. Is that Very good. Yeah. There we go. Fantastic. Uh, you guys have done some interesting research, uh, not just in South Africa. It's uh, taking place globally. Sure. Tell us about the, the sample. Who, who's being surveyed? And we'll get into some of the results and why sure. it was done in just a moment. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, Hava Sports and Entertainment is a, an engagement arm of the Hava Communications Group. We've got about uh, 16,500 people around the world and about 160 offices. Uh, from sport and entertainment side, we're very heavily invested in fans, passions, and brands, and that's what the, the name of the research that we commissioned was. And what we really tried to do is we, uh, we set out uh, towards the end of last year, built up a model around trying to understand initially the psyche of the sports fan. What is it that makes sports fans tick? Why We all know that people support football right now, what's going on in Brazil. We were really interested to try and understand why people support sport and football and specifically, and then as interestingly try and understand how that varies from nation to nation. So we did a survey of about 21,000 people in about uh, 16 countries, including South Africa. Uh, we've got a very, very top level results out right now, which we, uh, we launched last week in, at Cannes in France. And uh, we've obviously been just taking the, uh, the stats to market in terms of some very, very, very top level understandings of what it is that make people want to follow sports in general it's a it's a very fascinating you know part of the human psyche we've never we've never really probably sat on the couch and wondered why we support the Springboks. Mm. we just all do we've never really sat on the couch and thought about why a bunch of our mates just come round because we all want to watch Bafana Bafana play but we do and I think for us before we get to trying to understand how we can commercialize that we need to understand who we're talking to and why yeah, it's very interesting. You, you talk about supporting Bafana, Bafana and why. The interesting thing is there's some, some interesting research that's come out from that, but we'll touch on that in, in just a moment. Let, let's talk about the really high-level stuff, yeah. uh, sort of the, the background behind it, and, and before we get into the actual numbers and some of the interesting stats that come out of it, uh, there were eight different sort of, you call them logics of engagement, yeah. essentially. Tell us a little bit about that and, and why you looked at, at that in particular. Yeah, well, our, our insights team sitting in France, along with um, the University of Southern California's Innovation Lab, sat down and tried to figure out how you quantify why somebody supports. It's, an emo it's almost an emotional quantification as opposed to a numeric quantification. The numbers come secondary. We've got to figure out how we evaluate this. And we basically broke the, the psyche of supporting up into a number of key principles. And I I'm, I'm going to go very, very quickly cool. through them, but there's, uh, we've called them the logics. There's the logic of entertainment. So somebody who basically wants to enjoy the overall experience, atmosphere of a game, they're, they're top level, they're there to have fun. Uh, prime example, uh, old Haroon Lord, mm -hmm. talking before we came in, uh, I was very heavily involved in the inception development of Pro 20 cricket. So Pro 20, absolutely perfect example. Yeah. You're there for the entertainment. It's not the cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Keep, okay. Uh, we then, we then developed another logic called the logic of immersion, which was effectively you wanted to lose yourself into the emotion of the game. Um, a fan who thinks of nothing but the game when it's going on, you want to switch off. You don't want your phone ringing. You don't want to worry about your bond and your overdraft mm -hmm. and your, your sick dog sitting in the vet. So that immersive, absolutely almost escapism was another logic that we, that we, we quantified. There's obviously, and I think it's becoming, frankly, a bigger part of it, uh, and we saw that in the results, the logic of social connection. 
you want to create deeper relationships with the fans. You share a lot in common. The, one guy's a banker, one guy's a radio DJ, but you both support Chelsea. Mm. So your commonality, um, and especially in the days of social media and things like that. So we looked at social connection, and if that was a, a key factor in certain uh, in certain uh, uh, national uh, results. Obviously, the logic of play, having fun, uh, participation in real life activities. I mean, let's be honest. You're getting out of the, getting out of the office. That was important. Logic of identification was the fifth one. Self association with the teams in this particular case, players, characters, fan whose moods adhere directly to the success of that team. You all know somebody <laughs> who's having just the worst day because the Bulls lost. You my, know, my producer. She's a Liverpool yep. fan. She's hating well, the she, fact I'm that everyone's hating Luis Suarez. Right, she's even at work. You know, I would have called in. I would have. I would have. I would have called in. Bite. No. Um, there's the logic to pride. Um, you know, uh, both national pride as well as. Um, as well as an outward uh, experience of pride. A guy that always wears his Springbok jersey to work on the day before the playing, way before Football Fridays became popular in South Africa over 2010 as an example. They want to feel proud about something. Uh, we then looked at the logic of mastery, and this is a really interesting one in some of the research, and that's the nuts and bolts, the stats, the, 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 the techniques, the strategy, the ins and outs. The guys that know that somebody taking a penalty shot, they know his stats. They know exactly how many, he's, how many he scored, how many he's missed. They're the walking, talking baseball card fans. Those guys we felt was very interesting. And then the logic, logic of advocacy was our eighth one, and that's uh, championing specifically on behalf of one's fashion, uh, one's passion. Sorry, a fan who yells at referees, isn't afraid to make his make his point known. He's proudly out there. He knows what he wants to say. So, in a nutshell, we took these these eight pillars of logic. We applied that to a series of questions, and we asked 21,000 people around the world uh, a, a quite a long set of questions, actually, for research like this, but in such a way that we could start to draw comparisons, not just as to why a South African fan supported Bafana Bafana, but why that South African fan was different to a Brazilian fan. In, and the way they supported the team and the reasons they supported the team. Let's talk about some of those differences. I was looking at some of the stats that, that you've brought out so far, and in particular, the Bafana Bafana ones, I think, are, are very interesting, and, and from a South African perspective, and being able to compare us to football fans uh, around the world. And obviously, I mean, you mentioned before we started chatting uh, about Germany, just how the vast majority of Germans are just really crazy about their national team. Yep. Whereas South Africa... We more club in kind inclined oh, than yeah. the national team. Yeah, uh, look, so we got some really interesting nuggets out of this. I mean, there, there was some stuff that we know, but there was some stuff that was quite interesting in terms of the analysis. So, I mean, you mentioned Germany. Let's start with them. So, clearly, your perception of a German fan would be that absolute fanatic. He's the one wearing the shirt. He's probably on four of these pillars we spoke about. He's probably uh, advocacy, pride, identification, uh, entertainment, immersion. He's probably sitting right there. He wants to wear his scarf on the train, on the way to work. That, that's very much what we saw. And ironically enough, the highest influencer in the German fan was pride. Now, if I take that as an example and we move it across to China, what was really interesting in China is that we found an equal number, give or take, of fans in China supported international teams, not, not international nationals, but international clubs, a Chelsea, uh, Man United. can I say Liverpool again, <laughs> uh, a Man United, etc., as supported the Chinese national team. What was interesting is what made them tick was absolutely nothing to do with immersion, entertainment, identification. What made the Chinese fans tick was mastery. 
was the nuts and bolts. It was the strategy. It was the tactics. It was it was the technique of the game and the skill of the coach that really have turned the Chinese sports fans into sports fans. Totally different to what you, you what you would see from a German fan. From a South African side, as an example, um, our sample proved some relatively interesting results. I mean, I think. We've got, let's be honest, you know, we've got a very big sporting culture here. We've got a very big history here. Um, we've got the legacy of, of, you know, all the World Cups being played here from rugby through cricket through soccer. Um, 34% of the South Africans surveyed, and that's the highest percentage, by the way, are loyal to foreign teams first. So, yes, we have... And, and not foreign national teams, foreign clubs. Foreign clubs. So, yeah, they're not supporting Brazil. Yeah. They're supporting Liverpool, as opposed to Bafana Bafana. Now, if you understand the, dem- the, the psyche of the South African Bafana Bafana supporter right now, we think that's due to a couple of reasons. We don't think that they don't want to support Bafana mm. when we're not playing in the World Cup, let's be honest. Yeah. So it's very difficult to support a, fa- a team that's not, that's not performing. Second thing is... and. When we drill down into the research, we're going to, it's going to be quite interesting to see that. But uh, we're going to be really interesting to see if there are any equations that say we want to support Bafana Bafana, we just don't feel we can right now. They're happy to support, and it doesn't. It's not a winning team they're supporting. It's a Liverpool. Um, <laughs> shouldn't have told me that. Um, so it's not about winning. Be very clear. The research isn't about about uh, fair with the fans. Mm. They're, they're choosing to support European teams over Bafana Bafana as a higher average which is, is really interesting when you look at it. And it's not uncommon. We found that uh, across a lot of the developing countries. Uh, Sorry, before we, we get into the, the, the developing countries, let, let's stay on the front mm. of and, and South Africa. Yeah. Another interesting thing that came out there is more people, uh, you say that they, they support foreign clubs before Bafana Bafana. Yeah. But there's also more support for local clubs Correct. ahead of Bafana Absolutely. Bafana. So we're seeing that as a second tier. So it's really interesting to see that the tiering effectively from a South African preference perspective across our sample goes foreign clubs first, local clubs second, national team third right now. That might, that might have been different in 2010. Mm. You know, and probably was because we had a huge swelling of national pride. Um, we share very similar psyches with Mexico, Colombia as an example. Interestingly enough, not far off USA either. Um, probably because there's a, there's a huger, uh, there's a, a far broader understanding of, of the game in the US from expats than from locals. Um, and they're following European football, not here, pretty much like Africa. Uh, you know, uh, up through Africa, when you head up into the sort of central east-west area, as an example, the, the broadcast stats, not even my research, will tell you that there are more people watching European matches than there are watching Afghan, as an example. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a combination of, of our global neighborhood. The world is getting smaller, you know. Uh, Companies like Supersport are doing a brilliant job of bringing you more football than you've ever had access to in the past. And it's materially affecting the way that we support our national teams. That's interesting. I mean, the American one is is interesting to me too, because if if I have to think about um, America as a nation, I mean, I spent quite a bit of time there uh, as an exchange student, and they're very patriotic as a nation. Correct. Well, I I think what you're seeing the skew in the USA stats is it's a minor sport. In, in terms of an American psyche, yeah. in terms of an American uh, standing. And, and you'd have to play teams from around the world to be crowned world champion, well, not yeah, just playing correct. yourself. I mean, the, the concept of having a World Cup with other countries is, <laughs> is, is, is hard foreign. to understand. You know, that's not, uh, so I think, I think that's a lot of what it is. I think I, I have to be honest, you know, it's a numbers game and you can, you can analyze research any way you want to. Our take on it is just that it's A, it's a minority sport in, in the true American psyche. And I think what you're seeing is a lot of affinity towards European clubs, European football, uh, access on the on the television simply because 
the type of supporter that is watching uh, football in the States, let's be honest, is not watching American football. Mm. They're watching European. They're watching UEFA League. They're watching uh, Barclays. Um, uh, the Premier League. Yeah, they're watching that stuff. They're not, they're not tuning into Alabama. Um, <laughs> Three hours in exchange, yeah. funnily enough. Uh, talk, talk, let's talk about some of the other interesting stats that have come out. Like that, things that... that it's obviously difficult going into research like this because you want to go in with an open mind. You don't want to go in there thinking you're going to get this result because you don't want to skew it to get that result. But for, for you, looking at what you, you've seen so far from, from the data, what's really surprised you? I think what surprised me, number one, and I'm going to sound horribly sexist for a moment, is what, what really piqued our interest, and, and I'll say it again, we're still drilling down into the research, but just top level, being able to have a look at, at, at the real sort of top level findings, is um, over 60% of the women, 60% uh, of women extrapolated profess football to be one of their most interesting sports that they're interested in. That was very interesting to us. I suppose uh, globally the perception is it's a male-dominated mm. sport. And the stadiums may very well be full of men, but the women, the women aren't staying in the kitchen. They're, they are interested. They are immersed. They are following it. They are engaged. A lot of that may, may, that, a lot of that may well be due to the second-screen technology, uh, access to information, apps on your phone, etc. But I think certainly for us it was quite interesting to see the amount of uh, female interest in the sport and the research. Um, I think another really interesting thing for us was looking at how the countries uh, uh, equated with each other. So to give you an idea, 52% um, uh, interested in football see the national football team as the number one football team. However, and we talked about this already, notable exceptions, the UK as well, probably because they've got a very strong, loyal club following. Uh, and they don't hang around in World Cups that long. Yeah, well, you know, leave the engine running <laughs> on the plane. We're going to be about soon. Um, UK, South Africa, Spain, all showed very significant, as we've discussed, which is... So it, it's interesting to know that we are, but it's also interesting to see which other countries mm. follow similar patterns. Uh, support in the UK, Spain, much higher for national club teams. 61% um, of fans think their favorite team or player should get involved with brands that are committed to make a difference in the community. So we're starting to see this... this uh, this definite shift in people's psyche uh, away from commercialism towards um, uh, you know, brands doing good, not just sticking logos on shirts. Um, and that was really interesting as well. I mean, obviously, one of the reasons we're doing this, we're, we're you know international uh, sporting agency at the end of the day that works with some really big brands, guys like Coca-Cola in uh, Hyundai, Kia over in Brazil right now. Um, and part of what we're trying to do is to understand how we help the brands that we work with get more out of the sponsorships they're in. That's mm. what this is all about, ultimately. Yeah, it's, it's all very altruistic, wanting to know about China, but I actually want to know how I can make money. And uh, that's also really interesting when you, when you apply the logics to the, the business side of the sport. So, as an example, some of the research is that we found that 39, so through a pride perspective, the logic of pride, 39% of uh, fans feel encouraged to buy a brand if, the spon if it sponsors their favorite team or player. That starts to put quite a lot of quantifiable ammo in our back pocket in terms of confidently assessing the viability of sponsorships on an ongoing basis. We're sitting in, in a, an ever-changing sponsorship environment here in South Africa and Southern Africa. And for us to be able to have access to this type of knowledge and be able to take it confidently to people and say, yeah, the logo on your shirt for let's pick somebody neutral for the Boobles is worth that or isn't worth mm. that. Um, it just helps us to be able to have that much more information. And there are some, I mean, there are some really, really powerful numbers. 61% of fans uh, think that their favorite team or player should get involved with brands that make a difference to the community. 
that's a huge number that mm. is suddenly becoming very, very socio-conscious. Uh, five years ago, I doubt that number would have been 10%. People didn't care. Um, so it's really interesting to see how, not just how brands are reacting in the sponsorship space, but how brands should be reacting with access to the information we now have available to us around the way the fans really think, not the way we thought they thought, and not the way that we've uh, we've assessed them from a gen- generic set of sampling data, assuming that because you drive car X, you, you earn X amount, you therefore shop at shop X, and you will support our team. That's not good enough anymore. The consumer changed five years ago. Very, very interesting. We're chatting to uh, Andrew Ross, who's the MD of Hava Sports and Entertainment, about some uh, very interesting research that's been done. Uh, more than 20,000, I think 21,000, yeah. you said, people uh, surveyed across the world uh, in many, many countries to, to get this research. And uh, we're still, still early days, like you say, digging down into, into the, the sort of numbers. Is this the first time this sort of research has been done? Uh, the reason I ask that, you're saying the consumer's changed in five yeah. years. Do we know that for a fact? Is it, is it a case of there's data from five years ago, we're comparing it to this data, and this is how it's changed? Okay, so let's start at the beginning. We don't need data to know that consumer's changing. We need, we, need, we need social media. We need Facebook. We need Twitter to understand that you can no longer sit as a brand and tell the customer what they should think about you. It doesn't work. The customers tell you back what they think of you, and that's damn well what you are, pretty much. Mm. You know, you can't, you can't, I love this lovely saying, you can't put lipstick on a gorilla. <laughs> and if you are putting yourself out there to be one thing, uh, fans are going to tell you if you're not. And, and that's the beauty about, about where we are right now, is that we have, uh, we call it a continuous conversation, but we genuinely have a point that we are, we are engaging fans, passions, and brands in one space, in one time, in real time, all the time. Five years ago, that wasn't the case. Mm. Five years ago, Facebook was where you put your dog pictures. Uh, Twitter was where you you probably you know stuck uh, funny photographs that you've seen online. And they're coming. They're, it's, they're not just becoming tools for the marketers. And let's not get let's not get caught up in the marketing side of it. They're genuine mouthpieces for people to have an opinion and be heard. And to be part of a group. I yeah. mean, you, you talk about that. Is the, what the what logic of social connection? Correct. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I mean, you, you watch a, a game, whatever it is, whether yeah. it be football, rugby, cricket, mm. and you sit and watch a Twitter stream at the same time of people who are watching. People are commenting on that game all the time, and it's the same with this World Cup. If you follow the trends in this World Cup on yeah. social media, people are. Or watching it on social media. One of our agencies uh, in Australia, uh, One Green Bean, actually uh, just won uh, gold at Cannes for some brilliant work they did around uh, Commonwealth Bank cricket. Um, and uh, I was chatting to the to the MD of that company a couple of days ago, and I mean they're firmly of the opinion. Uh, we're, we're as a country, we're sort of catching up with set the concept of second screen viewing, which clearly you know about. You've got an iPad in front of you right now. I've got my phone in front of me. Uh, while I'm watching the F1 race, I can get the live telemetry that you know, kind Uncle Bernie's offered to us for not more than fifteen pounds a year. <laughs> um, but the point is, if I wanted, I can get it. What what we're seeing now is the genuine advent of third screen. So people with the access of information, people are, it's that logic of immersion. Mm. People want absolutely everything around them. Uh, and they want the ability to consume all of that thing. Uh, going back to cricket, uh, briefly, one of the things that we found in research around cricket from, from uh, my, my work there is one of the biggest challenges that we face in test cricket. Is nothing to do with the entertainment value. It's to do with the statistics. It's to do with getting the purists sitting on the, on the side of the grass at the Wanderers uh, access to the same information he can get at home or he doesn't go. 
He wants the stats. He wants the bowling rates. He wants the averages. He wants the run rates. He wants the worms. He wants the skyscrapers. And sitting on a grass embankment, he just doesn't get that. Mm. He gets to watch one day of test cricket, and he almost feels shortchanged. So, no, I think, I think the fan is definitely demanding more. That's amazing. The best place that we can be in any sport in the world is being able to hear what the fans really want and being able to react to that and deliver it. There's nothing wrong with being in that position. It's amazing. Fascinating yeah. stuff indeed. Uh, and yeah, and you think it's just sport and we're sitting watching it because we, we, we like it. But uh, apparently there's a lot more going on behind our scenes. There's a lot of very clever people sitting in a lot of small offices that don't <laughs> see the light of day very often, crunching a lot of numbers. So that logo goes on the front of a shirt by an electronics company and you buy the phone. It's amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Uh, Andrew Ross, uh, MD of Have a Sports and Entertainment. Thank you for coming through this afternoon. Really do appreciate your time. Uh, definitely, definitely interesting to know uh, the sort of psyche behind it and some of those numbers. And say, yeah, interesting. Uh, the Bafana Bafana numbers, indeed, with regards to uh, why we support foreign club teams ahead of uh, Bafana Bafana. It could be that we don't play that much because uh, we're not in the World Cup, let's be honest. Uh, could it be something else? Could it be other reasons? Could it be performance-based uh, that when we do play, it just frustrates the living daylights out of ourselves? Who knows? Uh, but it will be interesting to see uh, in four years' time at the next World Cup how it changes from country to country and if it changes here in South Africa as well. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for joining us this afternoon.